The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Last night in the group discussion, there was a conversation a little bit about being aware in very dynamic situations where there's a lot of content involved, so conversation. And um, and we talked a little bit about practicing with that and and kind of ways to step into it. And one of the comments that that I made is that we we have a very habitual um, mode of getting lost, losing mindfulness when we're engaged in content. Uh, it's, it's, you know, when we are thinking about something, it seems... Did you find her? Yes. Okay. <laughs> when, when we are thinking about something or engaged in, um, you know, needing to have the, the, the content be what we're attending to, there's a strong habit of, of not being mindful with that. Um, and it, it is a challenge. It's um, because, because the mind, you know, the, the attention aspect of the mind is on the content, um, it, can be, it can be more difficult to be aware of that, of what's happening. Not only aware of the content, but also aware of, of our um, experience along with that content. So this is, you know, when I mean, when I say content here, I mean, you know, the thoughts or the conversation, like if you're reading the newspaper, what the actual words mean, you know, the, 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 the when you're listening to somebody, what they're saying, that's, that's content. Or, or even in our, in our um, engagement, it seems to be easier to engage mindfully with content that is not words. But, you know, when we're washing the dishes, that's, there's some content there because we, you know, we have to know something about what dishes are and where they go and what soap is and what sponges are. I mean, there's content that, that we're engaged with, but that seems to be a, a slightly easier place because we're not having to think about the content. We're not having to think about what a sponge is and not having to think about what soap is because it's been so... We've learned that so thoroughly. But as we're engaging in, in conversation, in reading, in writing, we tend to kind of go into the content and lose mindfulness. Um, and so the, the, what I talked about last night was a little bit of kind of back and forth practice with this in particular around reading and writing. Um, it is possible to have the sense or to be I don't. I, I mean, it. I don't know actually what's going on in the mind precisely. Um, the the Buddhist psychology says that there's only one thing that we can attend to at a time, and so if we're attending to content of words, then we can't be attending to how our body is in that time, and yet. The Buddhist psychology also says that that attention, that, that span of attention, is vanishingly small, that each moment of attention is, um, you know, there are like 17 trillion of them in the blink of an eye. So really, really small moments of attention. And so this is, this is how essentially we take in 
so much information. It's a, there may be a kind of a time slicing, uh, you know, the fact that I can see and hear and speak all at the same time. The Buddhist psychology would say that, you know, it's happening little mind moment by mind moment and it's interweaving. Um, and yet the experience, and this is the important part because the Buddha didn't speak in the, in the suttas, at least, the, Buddha, the, the teachings of the Buddha don't um, talk about this mind-moment level of experience. He really emphasizes in the suttas, the, the teachings emphasize, what is the experience? What does it feel like? What, what, what are we noticing? And um, initially, because we kind of have to, to put our attention or we have a habit of putting our attention into content, we, we don't have the capacity so much to kind of step back and know, how does that content affect me? And yet, we can learn how to do this, and it can feel, with training, it can feel like it's pretty simultaneous. So maybe the interweaving gets more, it gets more interwoven as opposed to a, a, a bunch of moments of attending to content and then stepping back and noticing how we are and then more content and then stepping back and noticing how we are. That's what we might have to do initially, a kind of a back and forth, a conscious shifting between noticing what the content is and noticing how I am internally, um, how I am as, an, as a result or af- affected by that content. And so I, I suggested a kind of um, a practice with that in particular around reading and writing um, to notice when you're reading the, the content, the words. And, and this, you know, reading and writing, we have more uh, capacity to slow it down um, because it's not happening so dynamically. So you can choose to read a sentence or two and then step back. How did that affect me? Read another sentence or two. How did that affect me? What impact did it have? Likewise with writing. And then over time, it gets much more um, natural. It's like the skill develops. It's much more natural to, to be able to, uh, to read something kind of seamlessly and simultaneously know how am I with that content. And then that skill can be transferred towards... Um, conversation, more dynamic experience, more dynamic uh, um, situations. My teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya, I don't remember if I mentioned this earlier this week, um, spoke about practicing what he called 50-50 mindfulness, 50% of the attention on the content, 50% of the attention on how I am with the content. That, that this is part of our, our work in daily life. Again, if we think we can't be mindful while we are engaged in content. There's a lot of our day that's kind of off limits <laughs> in terms of being mindful. So um, I encourage a practice with this. But part of what I wanted to explore with you this morning is um, kind of the, the recognition or the, the respect that we need to give the power of words and language. Words are so powerful in our uh, experience. They shape, they can shape our experience. A single word can shape our experience. And words are happening in our uh, field all the time. And we are generally unaware of how they are affecting us. And so I wanted to, to, to show or to give a little example of this. And so let's just... 
settle in a little bit of, you know, a little quietness, just connect with your experience, however it's most appropriate for you to settle and connect. And after a, a minute or so, a couple minutes, I'll, um, I'll, I'll offer some words to you. And your, um, what I'd like you to just explore is what happens in your experience as you hear these words. Anxiety. Struggle. Neediness. Confusion. Calm. Delight. Ease. 
So I'm curious to hear from a few of you what you noticed. Think, go ahead, let's, yeah, you point to something really important that our response to certain words will, I mean, again, as I mentioned, it's conditioned. And uh, so some words more related to our experience from the past or things that we've done, there can be a stronger response because it's like, yeah, like, as you said, boy, I recognize that one. <laughs> That's me. And so there, there can be a much stronger response to those. But the other thing you, you, you mentioned is, you know, in, in shifting to the calm, and I think, how many of you noticed a difference between, between the, the, the anxiety words and the, yeah. So, so the, um, this points to a possibility, too, um, you know, how words condition the mind. Um, you know, we have to be careful in using this, but it is a tool that we can use in our practice. So sometimes in... Um, in uh, my meditation practice, especially as I'm beginning and settling in, I will drop some words into my meditation that orient me towards calming. The first things I'll, I'll often start with is relaxation, you know. Um, rather than say, saying something like, relax, body, relax, it's, it's much more of a, mm, are you willing to relax? And so just kind of orienting the mind and the direction of the word, the meaning of that word, and not trying to do it so much. So this is, this is the, the kind of the delicate balance about it. It's not to drop in the word and expect a certain response, but to drop in the word and see if the body and mind are willing to head in that direction. It's more like a, an intention. We're, we're using the words as a kind of like a, you willing to go there? Let's see. And so if you, um, if you let yourself settle for, you know, a few minutes as we did, and then you know, may the body relax. See what the effect of that is. May the body relax. You may try it three or four times. And, and something that I've seen is that using that kind of language to support us, because just as, just as you know, language coming in has an effect on us, we can consciously choose at times what kind of language to have in our, in our minds. And so this can be a, a place to begin our meditation, to you know, just drop in those words and see what happens. What I've seen in my own experience, especially around relaxation, is um, after I've consciously relaxed the body, so I will often start with a little bit of a scan and, you know, check into areas and, you know, release those areas that I can release. And then I'll drop in that request. And often I'll notice some kind of relaxation or some kind of release that I would have no idea how to do that release. You know, that, that something about just dropping that into the system, it's like our system understands how to do something that we don't consciously know how to do. And so this can be a powerful tool for us, the use of language. It can be, you know, we can see the kind of reactivity, the conditioned habitual reactivity that we have, but also we can use our, our um, responses to wholesome words to support us. And so we can use this in our meditation, and, and it might be, you know, so may the body relax. May the mind relax. May there be some ease. And then may the, may the mind receive experience. <laughs> Just kind of orienting that way through 
through language and, and you know, using this, what is the, the natural conditioning of our minds to, for in, our, in, a, in our favor, for our benefit. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, so the, this example or this kind of um, recognition of bringing words into the mind and then noticing that they affect us. This essentially is how the reflective practice works that, I expo- that we explored the other day. On Sunday, we explored bringing something, a scenario into mind and then noticing how it affected us. So this is how this works, that when we bring thoughts, situations into our mind, they will have an effect on us. And so this is another thing that we can use to explore things, as I mentioned the other day, if you want to explore something that's happening quickly in daily life where you don't really have time to notice all of the reactivity, everything that's going on, later in the day, um, when you have some time to uh, sit down and reflect, bringing into mind that situation and then and how does it affect me to think about that? Because very often the same kinds of things will arise when we bring a scenario into our mind, the same kinds of things will arise in the moment. And so this gives us a little bit of skill in, in being with the things that arise for us in our daily life. So that's, a, that's another really useful, useful tool there. Yeah, let's, let's record this. So the, the comment about... Um, in practice, having practiced a lot with being aware while writing and reading that, that this is, is possible, but there's a place uh, in creative writing in particular where it feels impossible. Um, so what I would say here is that um, in terms of you know, given, given the engagement of the mind, you know, the, the kind of the, the focus, the, the kind of going in, um, if, you're, if, if the mind is trying to do mindfulness or to, to, if there's any, any um, action towards trying to be mindful, that might not be possible. There is a momentum of mindfulness that is possible to connect up with something like that. Um, and so it's... Uh, and so I've, dis- I've discovered this... Um, As, as the momentum of mindfulness gets strong, so, so when there is a momentum of mindfulness um, that, is, that is kind of just going without our intending it to go, you know, that, that it's, 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 we're on that scooter and we are just riding. I think you know my scooter analogy, right? Yeah, so, so you know, we're on, you're on the scooter and you're riding. You don't have to keep tapping. It's possible for that kind of mindfulness to go into the the creative field. You know, it you know it's um, and and yet 
uh, again, the habit of non-mindfulness there will, will tend to have it sink. Um, so, it, it, I mean, just, just, just the, the place that I would play with it, if you're interested, um, and it, 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 again, you might have some ideas. I mean, we, we have ideas about what it means to be mindful. Um, there might be some idea about being able to notice certain things when mindful. Um, and that may also not be possible. I mean, so it, it's more along the lines of the mind. The mindfulness just goes along for the ride for whatever the mind is doing already. No, nothing more than that. And so it, 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 it might be that the mindfulness would enter in and it's, it's engaged, it, it's, it's aware of the engagement with the creative process. And it, it may not be aware of other things around you or what your body sensations are. Uh, but there can be that kind of awareness of what the mind is doing in that. And so the pla- a place to explore that would be when you're doing the creative writing, there may be moments, just little moments of mindfulness. Maybe. Have you noticed any of those in that process? Or, or does you just go in and come out and, and at the end of the process? So at the end, when you're coming out, just be curious about what's the mind, what's the mind, what's the state of the mind there? As, you're, as, you're, as w- awareness arises at the end of the process, what's the state of the mind there? Um, and that, 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 that would be, I mean, I just say set that intention as you're going in. May, may I be mindful as I'm coming out of, of the state of the mind. And there's probably some pleasantness, some delight, some kind of curiosity or engagement. There's, there's probably a feeling of that. Um, so, so just the, in that moment of the mindfulness returning, just taking that in, that state is probably, um, there's, there's probably the habit of not being mindful in that state. So the, touching into it as the mindfulness comes back at the end. It may just be waning. It may be the state is falling apart, but you may, you may also get a taste of it, a flavor of it. And that gives you a little bit of a sense of how it might be possible to be mindful in that place. So, so likewise with things like, you know, spacing out, you know, it's like you think it might, it wouldn't be possible to be mindful while spacing out. Um, and yet it is. <laughs> And the way, for me, the way into that was really, oh, you know, coming out of spacing out and, oh, here's this mind. This is, this is the experience of what that state of mind is. This is, this is a a different kind of, this points to, to the kind of objects, let's say, that are not precise, you know, that are not specific, that are not like this sensation or that thought it's much more of a recognition of, of, a, of a broad state of mind. Um, and th- and that's, a, that's a learning. For me, that was, that's probably the biggest thing Sayadaw Utejaniya taught me, was how to attend to that uh, kind of states of mind that, that, are, that are they're not something that you can say, this is what's happening. It more feels like a wash, like if you're looking up at the, at the sky at night, you could, if it's a really dark sky, you can see the individual stars, and that's what we, you know, 
might be more used to seeing, you know, precise things, the moon, the planets, the stars, but we can also take in the wash of the Milky Way. And it's more like that. It feels more like that, these, these mind states, the, the state of mind of creativity or um, um, of spacing out, too. It's kind of more of a wash of experience. And that's an area that we don't have a lot of skill in connecting with mindfulness with. And so, you know, you can, you can just play with that in that moment of returning. What is the state of mind? Not what, what are the body sensations, but just kind of the curiosity of what's the state of mind? And, and just see if, if there can begin to be a touching into that as you're coming out of it. And as that familiarity happens, what my experience is, is as I get more familiar in the moment of it coming out, um, then sometimes the mindfulness will begin to return in the middle of it. And then I can even begin to see the mind heading to it because it's familiar. Um, and again, in, in the mind heading to it, if you latch on to the mindfulness, then it may take you out of it. So it's kind of this interesting dance of, of letting the mindfulness go along for the ride rather than having the mindfulness change the experience it's 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 a it's a it's a curious dance there <laughs> but yeah it's 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 a it's a great exploration and i'd say you know it may not be it may not be necessary in a way but um definitely with certain states of mind that that we tend to habitually think are non-mindful um like spacing out confusion um restlessness we might think you know, mind jumping to different things. Um, really useful to begin to get familiar with that state and um, recognize that it is possible to be mindful there. With the with the the creative things, with the I mean, there are times when um, we're in more of a flow. I mean, it's basketball right now, right? I mean, you know, it's uh, I, I just can't imagine like you know Steph Curry can I be mindful of this while I'm doing this you know (laughs) that the doing of that mindfulness is is not going to happen but my guess is there's probably quite a bit of awareness in that 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 there's that that's been conditioned that you know, f- you know, really fully aware of the experience, the movements, the kind of the, the sense of what the court is like. So, you know, that I don't think, I don't think that, um, you know, that's not necessarily the kind of mindfulness we're going for, but there's this capacity that we have to really enter into being present with a very concentrated state, because I would call that kind of state a concentrated state. Yeah. So um, the question is about, the, the Buddha talked about heedfulness, effort, and energy, and how does this connect with, with what we're, we're doing here, this more effortless kind or exploration, exploration around the effortless kind of practice. Um, so um, a couple pieces... Um, Part of the reason, so just to to kind of restate, part of the reason I encourage not trying to do this all day long is because from my experience in exploring this, people aren't willing to do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> they give it up. You know, it's just, it's just, it's too, too hard. And so, um, for me, a way into heedfulness is to find, like, find the places where it can arise. And then the mind starts seeing the value of it. And seeing the value of it, our system begins to orient around it. And, and then it kind of like becomes a, uh, it, it, rather than our slippery slope being towards reactivity and habitual patterns of, of um, greed, aversion, and delusion, it becomes more oriented towards heedfulness. So this is, this is a part of the, you know, the conscious, the conscious, you know, not trying to carry this moment to moment, every single moment of the day. Pretty quickly, what I see, have seen in my own practice is that the mind sees the benefit of this. And so there is more, when the mind notices that it's caught by non-heedfulness, it, it begins to orient more towards heedfulness. So it's, a, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a way in for us to orient around being heedful. And heedfulness, you know, is... Um, um, really connected with mindfulness that we can't really be heedful unless we we have the mindfulness um, and yet there is there does seem to be um, you know as it gets conditioned as as our as our um, mind becomes more conditioned towards the wholesome we can discover much as we engage in unwholesome activity without uh, being aware of it. We can start to engage in wholesome activity without being aware of it. And yet it's helpful to become aware of that. And you know, when there is more wholesomeness, it, it, um, it, it can begin to um, pull the attention in also. So that was just, a, I was kind of correcting when I said it's, you know, heedfulness needs mindfulness. Heedfulness can be conditioned and we can be heedful without being consciously mindful. So I just wanted to correct that. Um, And then the other piece around effort. In describing that more effortless mindfulness, what I would say there is it's not personal effort that's happening in that situation. Um, but there is what we might call dharma effort. When, when um, you know, Sayadaw Utejaniya doesn't like the term effortless mindfulness or effortless practice, he says there's always effort there. It's just not you doing it. So when the dharma, when the, the mind really understands the, the wisdom of the practice, it kind of marshals the energy in that direction. It may not feel like I'm doing it. You just described something about that, right? It's like it doesn't feel like I'm doing that. And so it feels effortless, but the Dharma is kind of making the effort for us. So that's the shift uh, in our practice that at the beginning we, we have to consciously engage because there's so much habit and pattern and momentum towards 
our conditioned reactivity, that we have to consciously, learning these teachings, we can consciously step in and and begin to practice with them, maybe begin to redirect when we see it's hard to be mindful of something. So that's personal effort that we're making towards heedfulness. And then over time, it becomes much more natural and organic. And then it doesn't feel like we have to do it. And that, the the, the, Yusaira says, that's not non-effort it's a different kind of effort. You know, it's, it's, it's effort that is conditioned by the wholesome, conditioned by wisdom, rather than conditioned by a sense of self. And the conditioned by a sense of self, I mean, you know, we, we've been talking a little bit about the sense of self in this, in this group. And we, we may have the idea, you know, a sense of self bad, <laughs> no sense of self good. And yet, to move to the understanding around the sense of self being a conditioned phenomenon, to being not a reality, not an entity, but just a changing dynamic, to, to really begin to move in that direction. It's like we have to, there's, it's almost like we have our habitual sense of self based on all of our conditioning before we met the practice. Meeting the practice, hearing the teachings, it's like a new sense of self gets constructed around the practice. And that sense of self begins to make choices about being mindful, make choices about practicing and sitting in meditation, make choices about coming to retreats like this. Senses of self are involved in that. And yet that then helps this to weaken. And then we begin to recognize potentially that the sense of self in here there's some, there's some clinging there. There's some, I'm, I'm a good meditator. I'm doing this well. Or, you know, or, so, so there's, some, there's maybe some suffering that's associated with that. And then maybe a new sense of self that's curious about investigating that clinging comes in. And then, <laughs> etc. cetera. We, we, we can begin to, to recognize that that sense of self is just an arising, just a conditioned pattern, not who I am, not me, not mine. So there's a kind of a staged releasing, not only of our suffering, but also of our senses of self. Um, It's it's not, um, you know, if, if we are trying to engage in this practice from the perspective of not self, I'm not gonna do anything because the sense of self is bad, we're not going to get very far. That we, we have to, that, that, that personal effort needs to come into alignment with more wholesome choices. And then we also need to at some point start looking at any clinging or identification around those wholesome choices too.